This week's reading for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost comes out of Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who sent me to be a judge or an arbitrator against you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. The word of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. There was a trend that was kind of common amongst movies and particularly big franchises back a few years. They've kind of gotten away from it a little bit now, but it was pretty big for a while there. And it was the idea of ongoing storytelling when you're going to split a larger story into two different parts, so two different movies. Now, there are a lot of different examples of this. Two really come to mind as being good examples of it. One was the final year of the whole Harry Potter saga, which, you know, is seven years long, and they split year seven into part one and part two. So we had, we had year, the Deathly Hallows part one, and we knew it was just going to be part of the story. And the other one that comes to mind came out around about the same time, maybe a little bit different, but it was when they started doing the sequels to The Matrix, and we knew that we were going to get Matrix Reloaded, and then we were going to get Matrix Revolutions, and they were going to be two parts of the same story. So even though multiple movies, it's two parts of a larger self-contained story. Now, I can remember in both of those two examples, Harry Potter Year 7 Part 1 and Matrix Reloaded, I knew going into it, this is the approach. There's a larger story, and the story's not going to be done yet. But when those individual movies got done, and I'm sitting there in the theater and the lights go the, the movie gets done and the credits begin to roll I remember sitting there thinking I want the rest of the story and I don't want to wait for it I want you to take that idea and kind of tuck it into the back of your head we'll kind of come back to that idea today's story that we have we are still in a larger portion of something known in Luke's gospel as the travel narrative. So Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem and everything that's going on through a very large chunk of Luke's gospel, I think it starts in roughly chapter eight and goes to about chapter 19, so it's a big chunk of it, happens during this travel narrative. It's different encounters, different times of teaching, different miracles, all these different things that are happening as he's moving towards Jerusalem and what will ultimately culminate in his life, death, and resurrection in the time that we call Holy Week. All of that is happening. And different encounters that happen, different moments that happen, sometimes we see them featured in some of the other gospels, sometimes we don't. Some of the things that we have are unique to Luke. Some of them are not. Some of them overlap with stories. Now, actually, what we have had today 
is a portion that is unique to Luke, this little bit of an encounter that he has with some random individual and then the parable that he, he preaches or that he teaches in, to illustrate the point. This is unique to Luke, but this larger section that we're in is not unique to Luke, and what actually comes right after this also corresponds with a part of a different time of teaching within Matthew's gospel, something when Jesus gives what we call the Sermon on the Mount, a long portion that features many different things, and a lot of those different little snippets pop up at different times in Luke. That's coming up, but again, this particular instance that we have, this random encounter that sparks Jesus telling a parable, this is unique to Luke, and whenever we have something that's unique, it's worth paying attention to. Now, it's interesting. Jesus is just kind of wandering along, or perhaps he's been teaching, or he's in a moment around a crowd or whatever, and there's this random guy who says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. We don't know anything about this guy. We don't know the background. We don't know why other brother doesn't want to share. We don't know if other brother's greedy. We don't know if this brother is greedy and he just wants something that, that maybe his parents didn't want to give him. We, we don't know any of that. All we know is his brother's got part, has an inheritance and he wants a chunk of it. And so he says, hey, teacher, tell my brother to give me my part. Jesus responds back. First, he kind of pushes back a little bit. He's like, hey, who made me judge against you? I think Jesus is kind of like, that's family dynamics. I don't want anything to do with that. No. But then he, get, he gets into this time of teaching when he's pushing back about the idea that seems to be aimed, we could call it greed. We could call it the desire for more stuff, the desire for more, the, the love of wealth, the love of possessions. All of that could probably apply into the same situation. But Jesus is pushing back about it. And he's like, that's not where your life is found. It, and it's not found in, uh, I got to read it. I blanking on it. It's, it's, you, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, what's interesting about that, uh, perhaps you've heard me talk before. I tend to get into a little bit of the original language and do a translation. And here's the thing about translation from one language to another one. Every translation is someone's interpretation of what they're reading and how that they're putting that into a different language. And we have the same thing here. But he says one's life is not in how you make your living. That's not where it's found. It might be important to life, but that's not what ultimately defines you. That seems to be the little micro teaching that Jesus is talking about there. It's not in about how we get the day-to-day -day stuff. That's not where life is. Raises the question, well, then where is life at? Jesus seems to begin talking about that as he tells this parable. There's a rich landowner, this rich farmer, apparently, and he's already apparently doing well. He has land. He has possessions. He has land that produces very well. He has all these buildings, these storage barns, we hear them called. And now that his land has produced so well, he has so much crop, apparently he has more than he can store. And so he comes up to this idea. He's like, what will I do? This is what I will do. I will take my existing barns. I will tear them down. I will build bigger barns that will hold more. And then I will take all of my stuff, all of this stuff, and I will store it in the barns. And at that point, then I will say to myself, look at what you have. You have accumulated much for many years. Now you can relax. Relax, eat, drink, make merry, find joy in the situation. At that point, I will do that. But I have to do this first. And in the midst of that, then Jesus says in the parable, but that very night, God says to the man, you fool, 
all of this stuff that you have worked for, all of this effort that you have put in, all of the stock that you put into getting to this point doesn't matter because tonight your life will be demanded of you and who's going to get all your stuff? Life is not in the abundance. Life is not about getting to a point where finally I have accumulated enough. That's the teaching. And I got to tell you, as I listen to this, while there are little snippets that I'm like, oh, that's pretty good, and, and, and this is decent, and all that kind of gets me thinking, and that's all good stuff, it sort of leaves me wanting more. And maybe it leaves you wanting more as well. This is why I brought up those, those movies before of Harry Potter, Year 7, Part 1, and Matrix Reloaded. Great stories, but they don't finish the story, and they left me wanting more. And this leaves me wanting more. And there is more to come. And this is an important lesson for us to remember when it comes to the scriptures and particularly the gospels. That the gospels, while they can be divided up into these little snippets and these little individual moments that happen, and there is something that we can learn from that and there's something that we can take from that, they're intended to be a larger story. They're not intended to be cut off. And I think if we're looking for good news in what we heard today, we're not going to get it. Because the good news lies in what happens right after this. Jesus goes on to continue teaching. And unfortunately, the way that our scriptures get broken up for us, we don't get that additional teaching anytime soon. So you know what? I'm going to talk about it now. This additional teaching does show up also in Matthew's gospel. And it's a time when Jesus is talking about worry. And specifically, don't be worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Don't concern yourself with all of that stuff about what's going to happen tomorrow because you have things that you need to pay attention to right now today. Maybe you've heard the phrase, today has worries enough of its own. That's what's coming up. And Jesus also goes on and he gives a couple of examples. He talks about, look at the lilies of the field. They don't do any work and yet look how beautiful God clothes them. And then he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't toil, and yet God feeds them. And as amazing as God seems to be, this amazing creation that God has done, and as much delight as I think God takes in those flowers of the field and of those birds of the air, God looks at you, and God has called you very good because you are a member of humanity, and I think God cares that much more about all of us, including you. And so it's not about... I have to accumulate more, I have to accumulate more, I have to accumulate more. This is about don't worry about that because God will give you what you need for this day. So pay attention to this day. I think that idea is present when Jesus is talking about this little parable the man who says, if I just work harder and sacrifice all of this and put all of my energy into accumulating all of this, and then I can relax, then I can celebrate, he's missing the joy of the celebrating right here, right now. What the man in the parable learns is that tomorrow is not guaranteed. This is an idea, this is a concept, this is a truth that I bump into oftentimes when I'm working with different people, when I'm talking about different situations, and I bumped headlong into it in an honest and very accurate and real conversation earlier this week. About a week ago, a member of our congregation had a stroke, had a medical condition, and if you've ever seen the results of a stroke, you know they can be devastating. They can completely take a person out or they can utterly disrupt their entire 
way of life. Now, fortunately for this individual, it was a mild stroke. And even just a few days after it happened, he was doing very, very well. The lasting effects were pretty minor. But as we sat and we talked about it, both expressing gratitude at the fact that this could have been a whole lot worse, we then did talk about, but now here are the lifestyle changes. Here is what's going to look different as we move forward and recognizing that life's not going to be the same now as it was before, and also recognizing, realizing that if things had been worse, there would be no life going forward because it might have been over. Because tomorrow, while expected, is not guaranteed. That's the idea that I think is so important for us to, be, to recognize, to realize, and to be honest about that at any given point in our lives, we may expect tomorrow. I fully expect tomorrow. But tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us. And so are we living this moment right now in the reality of joy, the reality of celebration, also the reality of honesty about pain and suffering that happens? Are we honest and open to the possibilities of right now? That seems to be at the heart of what Jesus is teaching, that it's not about how am I going to provide for tomorrow or how am I going to provide for next week or how am I going to provide for next year and I got to toil and put everything into that moment out there in the unknown future when we don't even know if that moment out there in the unknown future is going to exist for us or not. That seems to be at the heart of the teaching. But let me be honest about stuff. If we look at this from the perspective of Jesus is telling us, remember, God has claimed you as beloved child, and that's all that you ultimately have to worry about. And stop. That is true. That is a very accurate and very real and very important aspect of our faith. But we also live in the reality of this world now as it is. And we do have these worries and these concerns about jobs and income and the resources that we need, and how are we going to get them, and what are we going to do, and we're dealing with this situation now, and will life be a little different when we get rid of that, and get over that, and get past that, and folks, like anybody else in the world, I have been through those, I'm still going through those, and I will continue to go through those. We all go through that. So what do we do with this? How do we live in the tension of our identity as beloved child of God, claimed, named, and claimed by God, and that's what ultimately defines us, and that is good news that we all need. So how do we marry that along with the, the, the tension of the reality of this world that we are a part of? I don't have a good answer to that. I'm not going to provide you with an answer. I'm not going to try and wrap it all up in some nice little absolution soundbite like I oftentimes do because there's no good answer to it. It is true that God has claimed us and named us and that that definition, that identity that is given to us is what ultimately defines us in the eternal sense, which is both now and not yet. And at the same time, we deal with the tension of this broken reality that we are a part of and that is a part of us. And somehow we have to navigate that, those waters because both are true at the same time. And if you're looking for some little two-word thing from me or two-line thing from me that's going to tie it all up in a nice little bow, you're not going to get one today, folks. This one's going to leave you wanting a little bit more. 
because that's life. Life is good, but life is hard. We are blessed, and yet we experience hardship. All of these are true at the same time. They will be true again tomorrow. They will be true again the next day. And they will continue to be true up until the moment when we each experience for ourselves the fullness of God's claim upon us out there in that unknown future. But for right now, all we can do is embrace this moment that we are in knowing tomorrow's not guaranteed and try and find joy in the reality of this moment.